Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. World Cup 2018 is done. Brian Strauss and I will be talking about the final as part of our podcast that has come to you daily for the past 34 days. I'll also have Stu Holden the Fox Sports as our interview guest. We want to thank each and every one of you for listening, and we hope you stay subscribed because this podcast will continue coming out twice a week talking about the world of soccer. Onward! Brian Strauss, we are here for one last World Cup Daily podcast. We're back in your room. We're back together in uh, my hotel room here in Moscow where it's semi-quiet, even though there's people celebrating outside who are carrying French flags. France has won the World Cup. Uh, 4-2 win today over Croatia. And you were there. I was. I'm giddy. It was awesome. And you brought your space borscht. Like, you know how like shows, all kinds of shows, all kinds of uh, entertainment product. <laughs> if they're on for long enough, they become self-referential, right? Like you start to talk about on a meta level kind of what you talk about. And so I feel like for four or five months now, we've been talking about the Space Borscht, and my goal was to have it with you on the podcast on our last night. Which is now. It's going to friggin' happen, man. It's going to happen. It's right here, and we both survived. Um, Which is slightly remarkable, uh, but we made it, and and it was a six-goal game today. I was thinking it would be a one-goal game. What the hell happened? (laughs) So much happened. I'm still. This was, this was one of the hardest games I've ever had to cover. One of the hardest stories I've ever had to write. There was, I mean, everyone watched it. This was like, this was like, like a you know, like a black hole is so dense, light cannot escape. Like that was this game. Like the 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 incident and talking points and and beautiful goals and controversy and nonsense and and i mean it was just it was non-stop it was incredible i saw five of the six goals with my own eyeballs which is uh significant for me personally because in my three previous world cup final attendances is i saw only one goal with my own eyeballs so i saw five of the six the one i missed was the the stupid one at the end uh, oh, the Howler the, the, by Larissa yeah, and Manzukic. Larissa Manzukic and yeah. whatever. I, I was I was working or writing or talking to John Wilson, our our colleague, or something, doing something. Um, and uh, but but I will for the and I, this is what I wound up writing about. I will for the rest of my life remember those six minutes in the second half, where where France finally, after all of this time, after you know, I mean, I I I sort of. You know, I decided they were my pick in December. I mean, I've been waiting for them since then to show us that that kind of soccer. And for those six minutes, led by Paul Pogba, who everyone wondered, you know, could he, you know, could he, would he fit into this team concept? Would he play a two-way game? Would he play uh, unselfish connecting soccer? Um, and then Mbappe, who's just the kid, is just, I mean, he's the coolest person to walk the face of the earth. And uh, those six minutes were just glorious, and I'll, I'll never forget them. And it was cool to see that happen in a World Cup final because you're like World Cup finals, man. Finals in general can be so dispiriting, and like every- France in this whole tournament, and <laughs> and nobody wants to lose. And I get it that Croatia actually, for the first thirty minutes at least, was the better team. He's pulling out the space borscht. Uh, 
and I'll continue talking briefly here while you examine this tube of stuff. It looks like a toothpaste it tube. It does look like a toothpaste but tube. It's borscht and inside. it says uh it says borscht in, in, in Cyrillic. If you um check Twitter, you can um see a photo of the box of the space borscht. Here it is, I'm holding it in my hand. This is momentous. Please continue. It is. Um but I don't think it is fair to say that France was outplayed over the entirety of the game. I don't think they were. I thought they were deserving winners today. Um, I also think it's a little unfair to say that France didn't have quality in this game because they certainly did have quality moments. Uh, and yes, they still played from the counter for the counter in a lot of ways, and that's a little odd given the talent at hand. But it was, you know, the goals they scored were terrific. Um, I think they got some help on VAR not being able to review the the fall by Griezmann, which led to the free kick, which led to their first goal. I'm sure you saw better replays than I did. I mean, it looked like maybe maybe there was some contact, but it was not a innocuous, and and Griezmann was looking for it and sold it. That, that yeah. was that was the quick impression I got being there. And VAR cannot review that according to the current rules. There's four types of plays that they can review, and it was reviewed, obviously, the situation later with the Perisic handball, which I thought was a borderline call, but I don't think you can complain about the way that the referee made the call. He was able to go and watch the replay multiple times, and he made his call. He saw what what was there at hand. Croatia played really well. Um, We should give him some, some... Some props, some dap. Um, a lot of fans, a lot more fans mm-hmm. rooting for Croatia tonight at the stadium than France. They did a really good job of of pulling France apart, of of sort of going behind um, Griezmann and Mbappe, and 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 finding those channels that allowed them to isolate the outside backs. Really, sort of pulled France side to side, and they found a lot of seams there to work to work with. Um, you know, they 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 had their chances. Um, they showed up. I mean, the you know. The, they were saying before the game that they just wanted to, you know, they knew they knew they had gone further than people expected. They knew they were the underdog. They wanted to play, um, you know, play with pride. And, you know, you know, Dalich was saying win or lose with dignity. And, you know, they did. I mean, the, the, there was a cool moment uh, after the game where um, it just the, the, the trophy ceremony just, it just took forever. Yeah, it just I I, we tell. just were just sitting there in in total agony, like for forty five minutes, waiting for them to 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 build that ridiculous balsa wood bullshit stage, um, and then they finished, and we still sat there, and then everybody got rained on. Um, <laughs> but uh, there was a cool moment at one point where there was a small section of France behind the goal to our left, and and um, I guess I don't know which angle people were watching on TV, but. Um, uh, fans started. The, I think Paul Pogba started it. Paul, what a what a game he had. He 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 went over and started it, and fans started tossing flags down. You know, they're all mm. waving the flag, and they started tossing the flags down to the French players. And they were going to do sort of a lap, like seven or eight of them had had flags, and we're going to kind of run around the stadium with the flags. And it looked like they they got they crossed the field, and they were going toward the the Croatia side when it became clear that they were about to like run in front of the Croatia fans with the with the French flags and they stopped hmm. and they stopped. And there was like this moment of, of, you know, I think one or two players sort of held their hands up or acknowledged the Croatian fans and they yeah. turned around and went back. Huh. Um, they formed a guard of honor for Croatia. Hmm. Um, I think it fell apart because something happened and it took too long, but they, they tried. 
Um, so clearly respect from both sides. Croatia played well. But yeah, I mean, moments of individual quality. And kind of the, one of the theme I, I put in my column was like, Deschamps put shackles around this team, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he, he demanded that this team subvert their individual wills and their individual instincts for the collective. And they were still good enough to win the World Cup. They were so talented that even with his, you know, NASCAR restrictor plates, they were still the fastest cars. Um, and they weren't the most entertaining team at this World Cup. I think Belgium was the most entertaining. Yeah, we team talked to about watch, that. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. But, like, 100%. but yeah. most entertaining team does not, maybe does not often ever be the team that wins. How I mean, how often does that happen? Well, and 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 if you're Deschamps, maybe you're thinking if we play entertaining soccer, that creates the kind of you know, guys, that's when guys start to argue over the ball. That's when guys start to argue over runs. That That's when guys start to, start to, you know, get in your way and think about themselves and think about their own stats. I mean, he, 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 he forced France to get away from things that have torpedoed them in the past by getting them to play this way. So he decided this was the way to win the World Cup and he won the World Cup. Um, and uh, let's eat the space borscht. You want to open it up there? Yeah, man, let's do it. Um, a couple other interesting things happened tonight real quick. Um, one is that all of you saw the video of the French players storming the press conference. Yes. I had the microphone. Like, that was my question that they interrupted. <laughs> have and you that, started? I, I introduced, my, you were supposed to introduce yourself and say the language. So, uh-huh. so, you know, I got that far and all of a sudden, like, full-on invasion and so the entire thing happened while I'm sitting with the microphone in my lap. Yeah. Anyway, that was that was that was not something that's happened before. And then the second thing is is that um, Steve Goff and I almost had like a full on brawl uh, <laughs> with Oglobo. <laughs> so Steve Goff which, from the Washington Post, which Oglobo from Brazil, which we've talked about before. And this would have been this would, like any fight with Oglobo is the movie Three Hundred. Any fight. Because any 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 incident, because they bring, they Everybody. they are well equipped, um, and they just they are they are they take over the media center, and they're just they take up a lot of space, and they make a lot of noise, and when you're on deadline after the World Cup final on day thirty five, you know, nerves are rubbed. So what happened? Uh, <laughs> there was some screaming. I may have, I may have, I may have uh, dropped a few f bombs. One of their guys, you never, yeah. One of their guys was like then getting <laughs> on, like trying to get us to clean up all the garbage and accusing us of leaving garbage in the room, and it was ugly. <laughs> it was ugly, but that's what happens on the last night of a World Cup when you're in the same room as Oglobo. All right, space borscht, space borscht. So explain to those who have maybe happened to miss the uh, earlier. <laughs> episodes what the story behind this is um so i met a guy on the train to nizhi novgorod named leo and leo is a soccer player and a big soccer fan and he was going to nizhi to go to uh, go to a game um he plays for a club that actually trains at the luzhniki which is pretty cool and leo as a gift gave me as understanding its ironic nature yes gave me the space borscht and so I've been carrying this tube of space borscht with me now since I went to Nizhny Novgorod, which was what three months ago. <laughs> and and it's 2011 called, it's, borscht is the Russian beet dish uh, that you apparently have everywhere here. 
but space borscht is what they carry into space. The cosmonauts. So the okay. reason this is cool is that I'm from Washington, D.C., and, and one of the landmarks of Washington, D.C. is the Air and Space Museum, which is uh-huh. badass. And, and the, the most famous uh, souvenir from the Air and Space Museum is the, the terrible freeze-dried astronaut ice cream. Like, this uh, is what people buy. Okay. So this is – so I thought that was really cool. And he didn't know any of this, of course. But, like, this is this is the Russian version of the freeze-dried ice cream, the, the, the space borscht. Okay. So – Where do you squeeze it on? Um, I'm going to put down the microphone so you talk to the people, and I'm going to go get that saucer over there. Okay. So go do your thing. Um, and I'm going to try this in part because I'm curious, in part because I'm hungry. Today, <laughs> today could have been planned out better in terms of my eating – um, we promised the people, but um, uh, but yeah. So last night after we recorded the podcast, you, uh, you came by here to pick up a bag, and I got you your vodka shot that you've been waiting for someone to buy you the entire tournament. And we got the good stuff. We got beluga. It was tremendous. Um, downstairs here. Oh my god, that looks horrible. That looks horrible. Okay, it's a lot. Fuck. It's a lot. Oh man, <laughs> I just dropped my first f bomb. It's a whole lot time. runnier. <laughs> Thought it would be. This looks like I thought this was going to be bad tomato, like a soup? toothpaste. Um, it looks like tomato soup that someone ate once. That <laughs> <laughs> a baby ate, right? It does. <laughs> it does. It, this is oh recycled. God. All right, I got to get the other <sighs> spoon. My goodness. Uh, so anyway, the vodka was actually probably much better than the space borscht would be. Um, and I actually was not planning to originally share it with you, but it was like, yeah, what the heck? And it was awesome. It was awesome. Okay. Wait, the, you weren't going to share what with me? The vodka. Like, I'm not usually a vodka guy. Oh, you weren't going to have a shot good with me? last night. I enjoy the vodka. I'm, yeah. I'm, much more, I'm much more into vodka and gin and the clear liquors. I'm going to take a picture of this than before the, we Than the brown it. liquors. Um, but Speaking of brown liquor, look at, look at, behold, the slop in front of us. Yeah, this may turn out to be a bad idea. Um, okay. So... There we are. Uh, picture taken. We gonna try this? Yes, we're gonna try it. Here we go. Bottoms up. You know they say bon appetit a lot here. Really? I'm yeah. Like barf actually. It's like that feeling in my throat. Like am I already? Yeah. Is that only because it looks and smells like barf? Oh. <laughs> okay. One, two, three. Oh my god. It's um okay. People want to know it. It's um, it's like if you took spaghettios, removed the O's, and quadrupled the salt content, and maybe added some sand. Yeah, um, I'm gonna have 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 a third spoonful. I have an open mind on food usually, but man, that is just not good. Good thing we got some room service on the way here. By the way, we're recording this at like one forty-five a.m. Um, we've eaten the space borscht. We've done yeah, it. We've this done is it. the this is like the symbolic. I mean, we crowned a, we crowned a world champion. By the way, this was clutch. Did you notice that they? I didn't notice till I saw some photos um, afterward because I was really far away. But they had the second star on their jerseys. I did see that. That was pretty badass. They were ready for it, just like the U.S. women were with the third star oh, when they, they won that? in 2015. Same okay. company, Nike, usually is pretty on top of its game. I thought that was clutch. Um, and so that's huge, you know. I mean, France is uh, France has been on this trajectory. They, they're, they're, you know, you you can afford to do the things that Deschamps did in terms of 
shaping the the approach, the intangibles, the chemistry when you just produce talent on an industrial level scale. Like it's a luxury you have, right. you know. And they've been on this trajectory uh, for 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 a few years. He made a comment tonight, which I wish he'd made a few days ago when I wrote my story about this. But he said, if we had won the Euros, maybe we're not here tonight. Hmm. You know, we had to go through that uh, that final. He, what was it? Fourteen. He left fourteen players mm-hmm. off of that team. So I mean, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, fourteen players from the Euro off the team that won tonight. So th- this was tinkering and refining and and studying the men. He said, I pick men for my team. Meaning, what does that mean? The, the person, the man, the whole person, the character. Oh, okay. You know, like like I, we look. We he basically said we've got lots of good players. You know, I picked twenty three men. Yeah, I picked. I I looked at the whole individual, um, and people wondered again whether, especially Paul Pogba, could be that individual, and he was. I mean, he just had a wonderful game, um, and so they've been on this trajectory, and it's very symbolic, I think, and cool that they won tonight. Um, I'm curious to see where they this, go. And from then the here. second, and then the second, the second. Uh, Symbolic uh, bit of closure to our tournament is is the space borscht, which now has been eaten, <laughs> or at least somewhat eaten, taste tested. Yeah, um, I'm curious to see what this France team does from here because obviously they're young; they're the second youngest team in the tournament, and uh, second youngest world champion ever as well. I believe I saw it tonight, and so. certainly the opportunity is there to to have an era now um, that could include the Euro in two years that could include World Cup 22. Uh, obviously, no one has repeated as World Cup champion uh, since Brazil in 58 and 62. Your, it's, dis, your, it's dis, hard. your disrespect for the impending England dynasty <laughs> is abhorrent and noted. Uh, um, but that said, as Germany found out in this tournament, for the last five World Cup champions have gone out in the group stage the following tournament, and... You make that trade. You make you know? that trade. What do you mean? I mean, I'm saying, like, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you can win one of them, yeah. Yeah, then, okay. Then All right, I'll go out in the group stage I, next time. I just time. feel like yeah. anyone who's, like, assuming that France is going to have an era now, that's not inevitable, but it's possible. No, I don't... I don't I, I wouldn't assume that, and I think that's in part because, again, we, we, didn't, we didn't see the sort of soccer in this tournament that seduced us. We didn't see the sort of soccer. In 2010 and 2014, we saw Spain and Germany play soccer that, that, that influenced the way people thought about the game, taught the game, coached the game, played the game, approached the game. I mean, they, they did cool things. You know, that, Is Spain and, really that great in 2010? Everybody after that wanted to, wanted to play tiki-taka. Well, I'm right. just saying, on the field, in those games, it was like... It's not what I'm, I'm one talking one about one the perception. One. I'm talking... We're yeah. talking about, do we think Spain, uh, France is going to go in an era? Yeah. On an era. And that, that's a matter of, of, of you know, that, that's, not, that's not quantifiable. That's an opinion. That's a guess. Um, and, and I don't know that they played the sort of soccer in this tournament. They, I agree with you. They deserve to win the World Cup. They were the only... They were the only team that didn't face plant. You know, I mean, they, they, they are the last team standing by definition. And so they deserve to win the World Cup. But they did not do anything in this tournament that made me think they have, you know, they've discovered something new about the game. They're playing in a way that's going to force the rest of the world to catch up. Um, there are always going to be four or five countries, as we've talked about, that are consistent producers of talent. And at any point, if one of those four or five countries gets their shit together and doesn't fire their coach two days before the tournament... And and finds a group that has the chemistry that this France group seems to have. They've got a really good shot to win the World Cup, and that's going to always be the case for these 
whatever, these five or six countries. It's going to always be the case. And if you're the Croatias of the world, if you're the other countries of the world, maybe every two decades, one of you catches lightning in a bottle and you make a run. Um, but that's how it's going to be. Um, Belgium was good enough. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. They were yeah. good enough. And, and, and had they caught France on an off day, you know, both teams playing at their best, France wins the game. Right. But if they, but, but Belgium would have beaten France more out of 10 games than any other team in the tournament. Right. Um, and so you can imagine a parallel universe where they've caught France on a, on a, on an off day, Belgium wins the world cup. And then our entire conception of all that stuff has changed because now, now we've seen a, 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 a golden generation, um, from a country that's not one of those five or six win the world cup. Right. Um, and it will, uh, we'll still be saying it has never happened four years from now. So let's wrap this thing up. We got a good interview with Stu Holden coming that we did the night before he called the game for Fox right here in this room. Um, I saw Stu in the bathroom. Okay. At the stadium. Um, and um, I just want to say thanks, man. This has been uh, a real treat to do this with you every day. It hasn't always been easy to put out the podcast, but we did it and we made it. And I know that uh, some of our listeners were a little concerned that we might not make it, but we made it. Well, I still got to get on a flight in like six hours. Well, I don't care now because we got the last We podcast. got the last show. <laughs> Woo! I'm proud of us. But um, yeah, even the Space Borscht, I'm glad we finally finished on that. It's kind of chunky. Yeah, not good. Wouldn't recommend it. But uh, we also would just like to say we will continue this podcast. We are not stopping. We're just not doing it daily. And we would love to have you continue subscribing because Brian and I will come in once a week on Tuesday mornings uh talking soccer and there will be a second episode usually each week where i interview somebody who i find interesting so thanks man thank you huge thanks to brian strauss for everything during this world cup next up is my interview with Stu holden all right let's bring in our guest he is Stuart Holden of Fox Sports. We are recording this the night before the World Cup final, which he will be calling with John Strong on Fox. Um, great to have you here, Stu. Thanks for joining me. Grant, thanks, man. We're, we're nearly there. We've been here uh, over a month at this point. I think I, I arrived in country on June 5th, so it's pretty crazy to think about. That's been about six weeks in Russia now. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Congratulations on everything you and John have done. Um you have been just about everywhere in Russia, it seems like. How has it this whole trip met your expectations? What have been the biggest surprises? Uh, it, it surpassed expectations. I, I mean, I played in a World Cup as a player, so I wasn't sure how this would stack up covering it as a broadcaster. And it's a, definitely a 180 from being a player where, you know, you're, you're in base camps and you travel to these games and you're playing. Whereas as a broadcaster, we've been trying to essentially get to every best game that we possibly could by means of trains, planes, and automobiles. And uh, honestly, the, it's been a whirlwind. And I think you've experienced a different version of that, especially uh, during the group stages. And, you know, I lived on an airplane. I think we figured out we did 24 flights in 28 days, um, eight different cities, uh, 18 games I think we'll have done by the end of this tournament and it's just been either one day we've been either traveling or at a game every single day of this tournament so from that perspective honestly I've just loved it it's it, to see the fan cultures and, and be in airports with fans chanting and, and singing around and, and seeing that side of the game and then also just experiencing how amazing this tournament has and to think in 20 years my name and my my voice will be on a lot of these calls in some of the craziest games we've ever seen yeah my my favorite call of yours 
Kylian Mbappe, filth of the highest order. <laughs> where, where did that come from? Deep within you? <laughs> you know, it actually first started with James Rodriguez. It was the, uh, he had the pass, I think, uh, where, um, to Quadrado in the Colombia yeah. game. And that was the first time I was like, that it was filthy. And then it's filth of the highest order. And then when Mbappe did that, it just came to me again. So I feel like it's kind of become a catchphrase, but I can't overuse it because... <laughs> Filth of the highest order really has to be reserved for the top level of filth. And there's, those are two there's, a, pretty scale, good there's a skill of filth, and, and those were definitely right at the top of it. So in order to get that again in the final, it's going to need a very, very filthy piece. And I think uh, Mbappe is capable of that. <laughs> so in terms of, I'm, I'm curious to know how a partnership develops with John Strong. You guys clearly have a good chemistry. How has that developed over time? It's a really good question, and actually, I don't know how many people are aware, but my first ever game calling uh, as an as an analyst was with John Strong at Buckshaw Stadium, 2014 MLS San Jose against Chicago Fire, and I was as green as can be. Shaw Brown, my, my producer, I know you had on your podcast, uh, had called me after I tore my ACL and said, "Are you interested in doing TV?" So you know, he said, "I'm going to pair you with John Strong. He's an up and coming American voice." And um, they couldn't have been better in terms of teaching me things. But it's very interesting seeing how our relationship has developed from me essentially being a student to, to, of, te- of television because this is right. a job. It's a different profession to being an athlete. And, you know, John came up to me after that first game in, in San Jose and he said, you have a future in this if you want. And, I, you know, at that time, I didn't know John was my same age. So it was kind of funny. I was thinking I was getting like fatherly advice from a guy. He's 32, right? He's like 32. You? We're both 32. We're a month apart. He's wow. a month older than me. Um, and then over, over periods, John's had a lot of different partners. I think it was real Don world cup tonight. He's had 22 different partners mm-hmm. and it wasn't really till about two years ago. They, they really invested, I would say in John and I as a partnership, uh, we'd called multiple games together, but at that point, and especially confederations cup last year, and you talk about the development of a partnership of learning, you know, cause it's very different to call a game with JP as it is to, to with John and, um, finding that balance and when to pick my spots and how he sets me up. And I think honestly, as much camera, uh, chemistry off camera is as important as on mm-hmm. camera. And it really does show through. So I'm glad that it does come across because John has become a really good friend of mine uh, and someone that I have a good level of comfort with. And, I, and then I think as we've developed our partnership, you know, I'm a little bit, you know, me, I'm, I'm a personality that is, is very out there and loud and rambunctious. And John is a lot of times uh, more reserved. And I think we found a really nice medium between the two of us. No, it's really cool. I, I'm curious to know as you have done this now for a few years how your style has developed and how you want to approach literally doing your job in a game what are you seeking to try and achieve with every game knowing that maybe you won't ever achieve total perfection in this uh, I, I think I've learned the biggest thing that I learned in, in broadcasting it and the games that I feel I've had the best games are when I've done the most work ahead of time okay. and it's almost as if it, when I was a player I, I was a player that you know I, I was in the gym I did I prepared very meticulously I um, I watched a lot of film I learned about myself I tried to improve myself that way and I think early in broadcasting uh, and this is something that, that Shaw Brown was always drilling into my head it was about why so telling the mm-hmm. viewer and the audience why and keeping that in mind no matter what I'm seeing mm-hmm. and never assuming that everyone sees what I'm seeing and being able to to articulate that and I think doing the work ahead of time so you know you and you and I were actually laughing before the tournament you said you know you'll figure out after your first World Cup if you've done too much prep or not yeah. enough or the right amount and I would say I've kind of found right in the middle of that but 
just feeling comfortable with teams and strategies and styles. And then the night before a game, um, beyond just my stickers and, and the work that I do, I will write out what I think the game is going to look like in my key points and where I think France is vulnerable and where I think Croatia are vulnerable, but then what are their attacking strengths? What are their defensive strengths? What do they do on set pieces? And then it's so, to me, it, it's the best feeling in the world when I see that happening in the game and I can talk to that and kind of explain why that is uh, is happening. And I feel like I have a, a good gauge and a balance of that. Now, one thing that seems like an obvious statement to make, but I actually think is an important statement to make is you and John are calling the World Cup final tomorrow and you both have American accents. And there have been Americans who have called for American television the World Cup final before, but uh, you guys are soccer guys. And, you know, everyone's got, a, you know, different tastes and all that out there. And, and you know, it's, it's always going to be soccer in America. But I think it's a factual statement to say you guys have done a terrific job during this World Cup. And is it important to you that it's an, you know, two guys with American accents doing the World Cup final on American television? It's important to me because I feel American and I feel, you know, as a an American that has played overseas, that has experienced the game at a very high level. And that, you know, I think it's okay for Americans to, to be getting these opportunities. And and ultimately, I, I love that Fox has invested in American voices. I like British voices. I like, sure. you know, Latino voices. I, I like different voices. I know a lot of this is sub, uh, subjective and people that I hope have enjoyed me. There'll be the people that are on Twitter that haven't enjoyed American accents and they're used to the, you know, the rhythm of a, of a British play-by-play. But Personally, I think we're at a point with the game in our country where we can be okay with, we, we should be okay with having American voices. And it's not an American voice versus a British voice. I think it's a good voice. So if you are, if you are good enough and you know the game well and you can project and do television well, uh, then I think that's what you should be judged on and, and not vice versa and just labeled because you have an accent. And again, fully understanding that not everyone is going to be great with that. But for me, I think it would be so cool in 20 years to hear some of these calls on television in the United States with American accents. And whereas in the past that, that hasn't happened as often. Yeah. I mean, I just want to thank you for the night before the biggest game of your career, <laughs> taking 10 minutes to sit down at our hotel here and, and actually talk about this. Um, you mentioned that your first broadcast with John was at Buckshaw stadium. Tomorrow you're calling the world cup final at Luzhniki stadium in Moscow. And there's no bigger game to call. Have you thought about that at all? I, I guess I have, and I, I, I've, I think about things in a way, and and I tried to do this as a player as well. Is is um, not not get too caught up in in the game and what it is. And I know it's so simple to say, well, it's just another game. And John was asking me this actually at dinner two nights ago. He said, "How does this stack up to playing?" Like because for John, this John grew up wanting to be a broadcaster, and that right. was his lifelong dream. And for him, this is, this is as big as it gets. And I would, I said to him, I said, nothing for me will compare to the feeling that I had in terms of a player because of that competitiveness and, and having worked my whole life to be a professional athlete, but having now made this my career and viewing this as a career and putting it into perspective, what I will actually be doing tomorrow and calling a world cup final in Luzhniki stadium, France against Croatia, going out to millions of people in the United States, uh, it starts to give me give me goosebumps and put it into perspective that you know I'd say I'm relatively fresh into this career at probably four years yeah. and um, 
to be doing this at, at this point. Um, I'm incredibly grateful for a lot of people that have helped me get to this point, and I'm just going to enjoy it tomorrow. You know, and and the be- the best piece of, piece of advice I've gotten in during this World Cup is. It's the World Cup and these images and these games are so great that you don't need to constantly try to project and just always be in there. And a lot of times the best thing you can do is just lay out, let the sound come in, let all the great action just come across and then add really good and key points when you can. Stu Holden, thanks for joining me. Grant, thanks, man. We're, I'm going to go to sleep now and then we'll be rocking and rolling tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Planet Football World Cup Daily Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss and Stu Holden, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do, and we'll see you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.